First Decoration Day, article written by David W. Blight, 2011, Zen Education Project. Americans understand that Memorial Day or Decoration Day, as my parents called it, has something to do with honoring the nation's war dead. It is also a day devoted to picnics, road races, commencements, and doubleheaders. But where did it begin? Who created it? And why? As a nation, we are at war now. But for most Americans, the scale of death and suffering in the seemingly endless wartime belongs to other people far away or to people in other neighborhoods. Collectively, we are not even allowed to see our war dead today. That was not the case in 1865. At the end of the Civil War, the dead were everywhere, some in half-buried coffins and some visible only as unidentified bones strewn on the killing fields of Virginia and Georgia. America's North and South faced an enormous spiritual and logistical challenge of memorialization. The dead were visible by their massive absence. Approximately 620,000 soldiers died in the war. American deaths in all other wars combined through the Korean conflict totaled 606,000. If the same number of Americans per capita had died in Vietnam as died in the Civil War, four million names would be on the Vietnam Memorial. The most immediate legacy of the Civil War was its slaughter and how we remember it. War kills people and destroys human creation. But as though mocking war's devastation, flowers inevitably bloom through its ruins. After a long siege, a prolonged bombardment for months from all around the harbor, the numerous fires, the beautiful port city of Charleston, South Carolina, where the war had begun in April 1861, lay in ruin by the spring of 1865. The city was largely abandoned by white residents by late February. Among the first troops to enter and march up Meeting Street singing liberation songs, was the 21st United States Colored Infantry. Their commander accepted the formal surrender of the city. Thousands of black Charlestonians, most former slaves, remained in the city and conducted a series of commemorations to declare their sense of the meaning of the war. The largest of these events, and unknown until some extraordinary luck in my recent research, took place on May 1st, 1865. During the final year of the war, the Confederates had converted the Planters Horse Track, the Washington Race Course and Jockey Club into an outdoor prison. Union soldiers were kept in horrible conditions in the interior of the track. At least 257 died of exposure and disease and were hastily buried in a mass grave behind the grandstand. Some 28 black workmen went to the site, reburied the Union dead properly, and built a high fence around the cemetery. They whitewashed the fence and built an archway over an entrance on which they inscribed the words, Martyrs of the Race Course. Then, black Charlestonians, in cooperation with white missionaries and teachers, staged an unforgettable parade of 10,000 people on the slaveholders' race course. 
the symbolic power of the low country planter aristocracy's horse track where they had displayed their wealth, leisure, and influence was not lost on the freed people. A New York Tribune correspondent witnessed the event describing a procession of friends and mourners as South Carolina and the United States never saw before. At 9 a.m. on May 1st, the procession stepped off led by 3,000 black school children carrying arms, loads of roses, and singing John Brown's Body. The children were followed by several hundred black women with baskets of flowers, wreaths, and crosses. Then came black men marching in cadence, followed by contingents of Union infantry and other black and white citizens. As many as possible gathering in the cemetery enclosure, a children's choir sang, we rally round the flag, the Star Spangled Banner, and several spirituals before several black ministers read from scripture. No record survives of which biblical passages rung out in the warm spring air, but the spirit of Leviticus 25 was surely present at those burial sites. For it is Jubilee, it shall be holy unto you. In the year of this Jubilee, he shall return every man unto his own possession. Following the solemn dedication, the crowd disappeared into the field and did what many of us do on Memorial Day. They enjoyed picnics, listened to speeches, and watched soldiers drill. Among the full brigade of Union infantry participating with the famous 54th Massachusetts and the 34th and 104th United States Colored Troops, who performed a special double-column march around the gravesite, the war was over and Decoration Day had been founded by African Americans in a ritual of remembrance and consecration. The war, they had boldly announced, had been all about the triumph of their emancipation over slaveholders' republic, and not about state right, defense of home, nor merely soldiers' valor and sacrifice. According to reminiscence written long after the fact, Several slight disturbances occurred during the ceremonies on this first Decoration Day, as well as much harsh talk about the event locally afterward. But a measure of how white Charlestonians suppressed from memory this founding in favor of their own creation of practice later came 51 years afterwards, when the president of the Ladies Memorial Association of Charleston received an inquiry about May 1st, 1865 parade. A United States daughter of the Confederacy official from New Orleans wanted to know if it was true that blacks had engaged in such a burial rite. Mrs. S.C. Beckwith responded tersely, I regret that I was unable to gather any official information in answer to this. In struggle over memory and meaning in any society, some stories just get lost while others attain mainstream dominance. We're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. And it lies between the pit of one's fears and the summit of one's knowledge. You are now traveling through a dimension of imagination. You just crossed over into the Twilight Zone.
Today is a day of reflection, remembrance, and honoring those who lost their lives serving our country. And this morning, we want to take a look at how Memorial Day came to be. It was originally known as Decoration Day, where Americans would honor the graves of those who died for the Union in the Civil War. After the two world wars, the day turned into a general day of remembrance instead of just the Civil War. In 1971, Congress declared Memorial Day a national holiday and changed its observance to the last Monday in May. Dozens of cities claim to be the location of our, first, our country's first Memorial Day commemoration back in May of 1868, but historians say that honor belongs to someone else and a day that history has forgotten until recently. Jalen Henderson explains how once enslaved people started America's first Memorial Day. This looks like a regular park, right? Kids playing, ducks swimming, and there's that fountain that always seems to be running no matter the time of year. So what if I told you that this place, Hampton Park, was once a cemetery, but not just any cemetery, one dedicated to more than 250 Civil War soldiers, which also just so happens to be home of the first ever Memorial Day ceremony. They had a, a small children's choir sing, preachers preached. So it was their way of dedicating uh, not only the graves of the dead, but it was also uh, their way of declaring the meaning of the Civil War and declaring um, you know, a federal union victory. That's right. But back then, it was called Decoration Day. And over time, that name changed to Dedication Day. It wasn't until the 1960s when Memorial Day became the official name. But whatever you call it, it all started right here in Charleston, South Carolina. Back in 1865, photography was barely a thing. And obviously, there was no such thing as video. So here's what we think happened. Leading up to May 1st, dozens of black Charlestonians exhumed a mass grave of more than 250 men. They then dug individual graves into rows, building a 10-foot-tall white fence around them, with an archway overhead spelling out martyrs of the race course. And on the actual Decoration Day, it's estimated that 10,000 mostly formerly enslaved black people commemorated those lives with a parade. They sang hymns, decorated graves, had picnics, and watched Union troops perform marches and drills. It all sounds familiar, right? So why haven't we heard about it before? Well, I think it's a classic case of how memory works. Uh, this was not a story white Charlestonians wanted to remember. This is the way dominant and less dominant stories get remembered or commemorated. Simply depends on who's in control of the narrative. The narrative. I had a, a very lucky discovery in my research for my book on Civil War memory. I found it in a collection at the Houghton Library at Harvard, the papers of an old Union veterans organization, and there were boxes of this stuff. But I don't know, maybe in the second box I looked in, there was a file labeled First Decoration Day. And I opened it, and here was a handwritten narrative on a piece of cardboard. At the bottom of it, it had a name, Berwick, but it listed a date and the New York Herald Tribune. 
I went over and got out the New York Herald Tribune for that date in late spring of 1865 in Charleston, South Carolina. And whoever wrote that down put the wrong date. I kept looking and kept looking and kept looking and kept looking and finally there it was. Verbatim, that story. It was describing a parade held in Charleston, South Carolina on May 1st, 1865. The Civil War had ended, just ended. Charleston had been evacuated by the Confederates back in February. The people left in Charleston, by and large, were all African Americans and Union troops, some white, some black. And the story on this narrative was people gathered on the old planter's horse track, the racetrack in Charleston. It was called the Washington Race Course and they held this extraordinary parade. In the last six to eight months of the war, the Confederates had converted the infield of that racetrack into an open-air prison, and about 260 Union soldiers had died of exposure and disease, and they'd all been thrown in a mass grave out behind the grandstand of the race course. We now have photos of that grandstand. The story was just almost unbelievable when I first read it. About 10,000 people marched around the old planter's race course. And the oval is still there in a park. But it said it was led by uh, some two or 3,000 black children carrying armloads of roses and flowers and singing John Brown's body. Followed by black women, black men, and then Union troops. And they marched around the course, and then they gathered in this cemetery that had been created by local black workmen, as many as could fit into the cemetery. And they heard the preaching from five black ministers, according to this article, and a small black children's choir sang the national anthem, America the Beautiful, and three or four spirituals. After this ceremony, broke up and went back into the infield of the old racetrack and did what most of us do on Memorial Day. They had, they had picnics, they had a speaker stand with speeches. The children ran around. But back around the graveyard, they had built a fence all the way around it and they whitewashed the fence and they had an archway, entryway. And over the archway, they painted the inscription Martyrs of the race course. These were the freed people of Charleston paying tribute to the Union dead. And it was their way of declaring the meaning of the war. That's the first Memorial Day. All the other places that claim to be the sites in their numerous towns and cities, south and north, that claim to be the place where Memorial Day had its origins in this kind of ritual, claimed 1866. Now, it perhaps doesn't matter which year it was created, but it was one of those unbelievably good pieces of luck in an archive that then led me to more and more sources, and eventually to even public commemorations of this in Charleston. And, and now we have a, a marker, a state historical marker there, commemorating the first Memorial Day. I've had a lot of lucky discoveries in archives, but that's by far my favorite. Uh, this was not a story white Charlestonians wanted to remember. 
This is the way dominant and less dominant stories get remembered or commemorated. Simply depends on who's in control of the narrative. All right, thanks, Mark. And right now, a Memorial Day moment from Northeast Ohio is going viral and it's causing outrage. And it all unfolded in Hudson on Monday when a retired lieutenant colonel was speaking. His mic was turned off and it was turned off deliberately. News 5's uh, Bob Jones spoke with that lieutenant colonel today and explains why people are so upset. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Barney Kempter. I'm an alumnus of Hudson High, class of 62. Veteran Barney Kempter considered it an honor to speak in his hometown of Hudson on Memorial Day, but after what happened, he isn't sure he'd do it again. I do not know at this time. Barney felt it was important to talk about the role blacks played in establishing Memorial Day, originally known as Decoration Day, as early as 1866. It's a fact, a part of history that does not get reported or made public. It's a very hidden part of American history. But just before the vet expanded on how the black community paid tribute to Union troops, his mic was cut off. Barney realized it immediately. This is why you moved in closer so you can hear this. <laughs> the volume was down for about two minutes. Hudson City leaders say the mic was cut by someone affiliated with a local American Legion post. The vet doesn't understand why. It's a situation that I think people are a little upset at the censorship at speaking at Memorial Day. We reached out to leaders of American Legion Lee Bishop Post 464, but haven't heard back. But the president of the Hudson American Legion Auxiliary did speak to our partners at the Akron Beacon Journal. She told the Beacon the volume was turned down because it was not relevant to our program for the day. And the theme of the day was honoring Hudson veterans. I am very saddened by the situation um, as a wife of a, a retired lieutenant colonel. Judy Hill, the president of the Akron branch of the NAACP, says what happened at the cemetery was insulting and an attempt to negate history. It goes to show you how individuals don't want to accept the way that history really was, that there were many people who helped build this country. The veteran says his story is now getting attention around the world. This has gone worldwide. I, I'm totally, utterly amazed at it. The American Legion Post Department of Ohio says it's investigating this incident thoroughly. From all of the attention, Barney hopes there will be education, the original intent of his speech. I think they should take back the message and recognize the contribution made by the African Americans. In Hudson, Bob Jones, News 5. So Hudson's mayor and city council released a statement this afternoon condemning what happened on Memorial Day. They called the move disrespectful to the lieutenant colonel and all service members who made the ultimate sacrifice. That statement also points out Hudson's history with civil rights. It was the home of abolitionist John Brown and a stop on the Underground Railroad. Uh, this was not a story white Charlestonians wanted to remember. This is the way dominant and less dominant stories get remembered or commemorated. Simply depends on who's in control of the narrative. The Hudson American Legion post is now suspended and the post officer has resigned after what happened during a Memorial Day speech. Now, we told you earlier this week about the microphone being silenced during a portion of a retired lieutenant colonel's speech, recognizing the role African-Americans played in establishing Memorial Day. The American Legion Department of Ohio says it does not hold space for members or veterans who think censoring black history is acceptable. And they say that's what happened in Hudson.
People Activity Radio, and I'm your host, John T. Horse. Welcome, welcome. You have found your family in a peaceful place. Yes, indeed. Uh, uh. The title of today's episode is Hidden. Origins of Memorial Day. PAR is a family-friendly information distribution program seeking to inform non-white people, in particular, black classifieds, and assisting in counter-racist codification. Less, less. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Let it sizzle in your spirit. Uh, uh. PAR is a family-friendly information distribution program dedicated to creating less confusion for people subject to non-white in particular black classification. Less confusion with the ultimate goal of solving problems. Replace the system of racism white supremacy with a system of justice. Immediately. Let's get it. Let's get it. Shake them shoulders and let this beat sizzle and drizzle and fizzle, fizzle in your spirit. John G. Horse's cash app is dollar sign capital J O H N capital H O R S E. Feel free to donate if you feel this program is constructive and worth your time. and humble host, John G. Horse. Welcome. You have indeed found your family in a peaceful place. And the title of the show is One Mogin, The Hidden Origins of Memorial Day. And if you are a avid listener 
to old John G's podcast, People Activity Radio, P-A-R. You are in the know when it comes to those ancestors and grandsisters, men, women, and children who made the ultimate sacrifice to get themselves and their loved ones off them killer squad plantations before the Civil War, during the Civil War, and post-Civil War shenanigans and antics. Now that's either true or it's not true, and today's show is going to be a quick hitter because I've given you plenty of reference material in particular. Snippets from author David W. Bright, book titled Race and Reunion as it pertains to post-Civil War, Civil War memory. Sorry about silverware, but I digress. A little bit tongue-tied. And just like any other podcast that I produce, I'm getting straight to the nitty-gritty. I am going to get straight to what the topic always going to be here. I'm going to get straight to the information as it pertains to people subject to non-white, in particular, black classification in this experiment that we call the United States of America, which I contend is a practice field for those people who classify themselves as white and believe in the system of racism, white supremacy, the religion of racism, white supremacy, or as Professor Kamal Kambon calls it, white terror domination. That's my contention. But the topic of today is the origins of Memorial Day. Before I get on one of my uh, hooping and holler session, ho- hooping and hollering sessions, I've been I've been telling myself every New Year since the uh, creation of this podcast, People Activity Radio, that I'm going to stop hooping and hollering, but I ain't stopped yet. Please, if anybody got any suggestions, please help a brother out. Because every time I talk about the legacy of resilience and uh, intestinal fortitude and go-getter-ism and never-giving-up-isms and John Henry-isms, of my ancestors and grandcestors, I start hooping and hollering. The spirit gets into me. You understand me? All up in me, from the loins, from the guts. But I digress. The topic of the day is the origins of Memorial Day. It's a very touching story to old John G. And those of you who are concerned about those who came before you and the things that they did so that you can have this experience of life without having to have the restraints and the chains of the the prison system of chattel slavery up on your neck. I call them the emancipation generation and the emancipation generation never ceases to disappoint any and every time I flip open a page of history books as it pertains to the United States of America. Whether it was in the Revolutionary War, 
whether it was in the War of 1812, whether it was in the Indian Wars, whether it was in the Civil Wars, whether it was in the Mexican-American Wars, whether it was in World War I, World War II, whereas whenever you look, you see hard-charging, get-her-done-ing, John Henryism practitioning people subject to non-white, in particular black classification, doing what they had to do to earn their freedom, their liberation. What is it they thought that was at that time that they was thinking about it? Whatever technology and knowledge they had from where they came from. Hell, the ancestors, if they was all up in the Bible, it wasn't no cheek turning being preached up in those sermons. Now that's either true or it's not true. Do your research, I'm not gonna get into it. Hooping and hollering already, didn't even take that long, you understand me? But as it pertains to the origins of what we're calling Memorial Day, documented and verified author David W. Blight, the book Race and Reunion, and he cites May 1st, 1865, the ancestors of Charleston, South Carolina, Gullah, Geechee, Black Classifieds. Once the war was over, they started to dig up the mass graves and buried the fallen soldiers of the Union Army into honorable respectable grave sites and putting them in a proper light for the sacrifice that they made for the lack of a better words so let me say it one more time because I don't think that y'all heard me and when I read this I, I had to reread it over again because I, I just didn't understand after the Civil War the United States was a death zone all you saw was bodies, corpses, buzzards, wolves, any and everything that you can think of in a horror movie was going on in the aftermath. 620,000 plus human beings died in that three plus four years war that we call the Civil War, which seemed to have stopped in a matter of months once self-proclaimed racist white supremacist Abe Lincoln say just put some guns and offer the Negroes tangible benefits if they participate and assist the North in this fight. Within a matter of months, the war was over after those of us subject to non-white, in particular black classification, got that green light. Didn't matter to us who won, left or right, because at the end of the day, we were still in the same position, but old Abe, to his detriment, not only offered guns, land, repairs, tangible resources, he offered uh, equal standing in all sectors of the federal government, state government, law, and everything. He offered a human existence, a pursuit of happiness, in return, we offered that work. Stomp the mud hole in the Confederacy, asked the Confederate 
historians, they'll tell you, at the end of that war, it was more blacks in Union uniforms than it was whites in Confederate uniforms. Now, that's either true or it's not true. So at the end of the Civil War, May 1st, 1865, Charleston, South Carolina, Gullet, Geechee, non-white in particular, black classifieds, dug up the mass graves of Union soldiers, reburied them in an honorable, respectable fashion, built a white gate around this grave site, and memorialized them hidden hitters that don't nobody seem to wanna acknowledge during Memorial Day. Colored Union troops. But here on old PAR, People Activity Radio, old John G. Horse will crowbar the colored Union troops, men, women, and children who rose up and put in that work and administered the ultimate sacrifice for what they saw as their liberation. And to all of the ancestors and grandcestors, one more again, old John Jay give you a black respect salute. And here on PAR, we ain't never gonna forget. And on the day that you, my ancestors, my grandcestors, created to commemorate them riders, them hidden hitters. Pour out some libations and think about what that meant. And I would recommend that you get David W. Walk, I'm sorry, David W. Blight's book, Race and Reunion, and look at the documented and verified, ain't no allegory text, chapter three, and see uh, what your ancestors had to endure, and we will keep the show a coming. Like I said, this is a quick hitter, and I hope, and I hope, I have contributed, I have contributed to less confusion, to less and, confusion. Always remember, and always remember, keep learning, keep learning, keep learning. Stay, code of five. stay code of five. 